Sirius XM Sports Podcasts presents Mad Dog's Daily Bite with Christopher Russo. And good afternoon, everybody! Tom, welcome. Christopher Russo, how are you today? Hey, Chris. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you got it. Great job at the book. We spent plenty of time on that. And boy, I'll tell you, you have been the definition of what a spouse has to do, what a husband needs to do in the last three years. I don't want to necessarily chronicle it because I'm sure you've been through plenty. But your poor wife who was sick for the last three years and you basically took care of her morning to night. I read the editorials in the New York Times. Uh, I know you just uh, you delayed that funeral week because of the hurricane. So that lingered a little longer. What a job you did. And that is the definition, Tom, of long marriages and success ones and what you did i wouldn't expect anything less out of you what you did for your wife was phenomenal there go ahead give me a few minutes on that Chris, you know the way that i say it is this okay we've been married for 55 years for the last five years i was judy's caregiver for the first 50 years judy was my caregiver what she let allowed me to do was to focus on my profession and to try to be the very best that I could in in my tunnel vision way of doing things, as simple as I am. But my wife did everything else. Chris, she was amazing. I mean, she's very talented. She built three houses. You know, she she raised four children, four unique individual children. Uh, our whole family's built around Judy as the mother normally is. And then uh, our grandchildren all focused around their grandmother. You know, the, the saying goes, always went in the house was by, by the grandkids is you ask pop pop and he says, no, you ask grandma and you get it. You know, that's, that's <laughs> one of those gifts. you know, that's how that goes. But, uh, but Judy was, was basically everything for our family. She was the creator of the, of the, of the Coughlin family vacation. She put all those together where for, for, 20 some years we went to a different spot in the summer where everybody had to had to lay aside that week after the 4th of July to spend with each other different parts of the country wherever we went you know whatever and she always ran and organized that and the only goal the only thing that everybody had to do was make sure that uh the dad uh, pop pop did not know what it cost so they they, they <laughs> handled they handled all of that but uh uh, she was quite her her smile and the way she treated people was emblematic of what we all should follow. I always I always thought of Judy as the walking Bible, uh, not because she wore anything on her sleeve with her religion, but because of the way she treated people. She treated people the way you'd want to be treated. And she made people feel like they were the best in the room, no matter where she was or who she was dealing with. At, you know, take Christmas time, Chris. If she had was in the stadium suite like she was with Giant Stadium for all those years, she gave it. She gave presents to everybody. I mean, even the the parking lot attendant got a Christmas present from Judy Coughlin. That's just the way she was. So wow, uh, she she will be missed. She will uh, be greatly missed. You were tireless as a coach, but even you were worn out, and that's hard to believe. Anybody who's followed your career would be worn out on anything. But being a caregiver every day, I read the quotes, a zombie at 8 o'clock at night. Tell us about that for a sec. Go ahead. Well, you were because your day, first of all, Chris, the, the day the days never change. You know, you it's, it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So you're up at six every day and you're, and you're working through. Now, I always had a caregiver also because 
because I could afford it. And because you needed help, we needed two people to do the right job and care for Judy in this case properly. She had awful disease, progressive supranuclear palsy, robs you of everything, robs you of everything. You you know, she couldn't walk, she couldn't talk, she couldn't do anything for over probably an 18 month period. But your day is, is, is always the same. And so what would happen was I'd get a workout in when she took her afternoon nap and we got her back upstairs and I always wanted her downstairs. I always wanted her, and when we could, to be out back and looking at the, the ocean and enjoying the place that she found. She she found this little uh, piece of beachfront property with a, with a beach house on it. And this is the way it went with, with Judy and I. She came to me in the late 90s and said, I, I found a piece of property with an old beach house on it, and I'd like I'd like to buy it. And I said, okay, what, what is it going to cost? And she told me what it costs. And I said, there's no way, there's no way I'm I'm going to spend that much money for an old beach house, blah, 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 blah. Well, two weeks later, of course, we had the beach house. You know, that that's the way it went. And then after a few years, we knocked the old beach house down and built a new one. And she built the, she built the beach house, but she built it with people who they, they, they would do anything for her. And that's, that's kind of the way she was, but the days, you know, run one one into the other, and there's 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 real little little break. But what I meant by the night time is, you know, starting at about five thirty, we would prepare her dinner, and of course clean that up, and then prepare her for for her night for for her sleep, and that ended at about eight or eight ten in the evening when we would have her ready for bed, and then uh, after a few things, I would go downstairs and I'd go in the media room and sit there like, a, as I said, like a zombie and and pretend to be entertained by whatever I was watching, a football game, a baseball game, whatever, whatever time of the year it was. And but you you wanted those times because that was your chance to to have some normalcy, you know, to to just sit and and, and not have anything else on your mind at that particular time, except for you know, having a couple of hours to, to watch TV. So hmm. that's what I meant by that. But the yeah. idea of, you know, people, and I wrote the article because I wanted, I want the world to be aware of caregivers. There's 50 million people out there in this country that are caregivers for a, a loved one, many of whom can't afford what I could in terms of having other people around. You know, with I had an eight to eight kind of a deal with people, then they would come from eight, eight in the morning till eight at night till we got Judy in bed. But lots of people can't do that. And so they the burden falls upon the number one caregiver and then the family. And it's not easy. And I've tried to make people realize that they're not alone. You know, you 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 need to take it easy on yourself. For example, I would say this. If Judy was having a good day, if I'd go in at seven in the morning and I'd make a big deal, I always did, put the blinds up, you know, put something on television and and get over and, and wish her a good morning and give her a kiss, you know, make her, if she was smiling and having a good day, then I was going to have a good day. But if she wasn't, if she was having a bad day, then what would go through your mind as a caregiver is, you know, you're a failure. You, you, you can't accomplish what you want. All we wanted to do was make her life better, make her happy in, in the twilight of her life. And we, we tried to do it in many ways, but there were those days when it wasn't working that way for whatever the reason was. And I would then feel, man, I'm a failure. I mean, I, 
what am I doing here? I'm not I'm not I'm not fulfilling the 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 role that I said I was going to fulfill. So I uh, that's what I meant. And I wanted people to realize that they had to take it easy on yourself. You know, it's not easy. It's not you're not going to be perfect. You can't you can't make it perfect. It, it's it's a combination of things, the, the disease and all of those things that go with it. So you have to don't be so hard on yourself that you make yourself sick. You can't do it. You, you have to take care of yourself. You have to eat right. You have to exercise. You have to do the things that are necessary to maintain your own health. Because God forbid, if the caregiver gets ill, wow, you now you got a lot of problems because you don't even have that number one person in the house. And, and you know, what, what fell on me were all the things that Judy had done for me, paid all the bills, you know. She had a list a mile long of people you call. If something's wrong, you call this guy, you know. I don't know anything about that. And, and so little by little, little by little, you do learn about the maintenance of your own home, which I never paid any attention to because I had, you know, I had my quarterback who was, you know, Judy Coughlin, who had to do all that. So yeah. I tried to make people aware of, you know, you're not alone and you need to take care of yourself. Well, you certainly did. Uh, 750 people went to that memorial service down there in uh and I know Andy Reid went. I know the commissioner went. Were you, were you shocked at the amount of folks? And who surprised you most by appearing? Anybody? I don't think I was. Well, I was surprised when Andy was going to come. And I said, I told Andy on the phone, Andy, I know it's, I know it's in season. You know, it was a Monday and he, he felt he could do it. And he, and he was nice enough. He and Tammy came. And Steve Spagnolo came. Dave and Yolanda Merritt on that staff that were with me in New York. You know, those are guys that I – that I had on my staff, but Doug Peterson came, you know, and, and uh, his wife. And, you know, there were, there were people that came that I didn't even get a chance to see friends old and new who were there. Uh, And when we first started to put this together, uh, the the funeral director said, you probably have a thousand people. And I said, what? And and only because of the hurricane, we didn't have a thousand, but we had a really, really wonderful, wonderful turnout. And the thing that we tried to do, Chris. We tried to make it a celebration of Judy's life because that's what she would want. She wouldn't have wanted. There was going to be tears. Yeah, there were tears. There were tears, but there were also storytelling and laughter and joy. And you know, my my oldest granddaughter, she, the oldest of my grandkids, uh, Emma Rose Coughlin, sang "Amazing Grace," and right at the beginning of of, of the funeral mass. She sang this, and the whole place was in, holy cow, who's, who is that? Because she's, she's into drama, and she's at the University of Michigan studying that. You know, she, but she was outstanding, and that's how it started. And the kids were all in. All the readings were by the next three kids, you know, uh, Dylan Snee and Caroline Coughlin and uh, Mary and Joyce. Those were, they did the readings, and the, the rest of the kids brought up the, the, the gifts, you know, at, at mid-mass, and so it was a family deal. My son, Brian, who's a, a lawyer, he, he hit it out of the park. He, oh, he, he did, did the eulogy. Okay, gotcha. Did, well, he did and I did, but but Brian was a spectacular. I mean, he had everybody back on their heels with the way he presented and, and, and what he was able to say in love of his mom, you know. And then I, I just told stories of, of our life together, you know, and how – how she came to 
you know, she was the gal that as a sophomore in high school dated the, the varsity, the star quarterback, you know, and she was a year older than me. And then how that got going and, and how, uh, you know, did you did you I, prepare it? Did you prepare a time or did you oh, yeah. add lib that? Did you add oh, yeah. that? No, you prepared oh, yeah. it. Okay. I, I wrote my own speech and, and Brian did that for himself too. Yeah. Uh, and this goes back. Andrea Kramer was there. Who was there? Andrea Kramer. Just people. Oh, Andrea Kramer. Oh, from really? Wow. People that we've, you know, over the, she loved Judy. You know, she'd come here to Jacksonville to do uh, her coverage of, for example, our first draft. Well, she got to know Judy. So when she would come here, she would have dinner with Judy. You know, <laughs> I would be busy and she'd, she'd have dinner with Judy. Wow. This goes back to your dad because you've always given us that great quote. And I try to think of it with my kids who start to moan and groan about something. They're at that age where they're realizing that life isn't that easy. You know, they're not 10 years old. They're in that 20 period where they think that everything is going to be a layup. And we all know that is not the case. And your father told you an interesting lesson when you were, I think, a high school wide receiver. He wants you to tell him that story because I think the audience would like it. Go ahead. It's a good story. Well, I was a sophomore in high school and we had a, a, a brand new football coach. We would we would go on to win as a, as, as a junior and a senior. We, we won the conference championship. But this year. Our first year, you know, we're struggling, a new system and blah, blah, blah. So we play, I think it was Clyde Central. Clyde is over there where by where Lions, where Bayheim's from, over in that area. So we're playing them and they beat us one day. And I'm playing, I'm playing fullback and safety. I was a running back in, in a in a corner, but I was playing safety in this this particular game. And uh we got beat. And it was kind of a dismal day, you know, as it can be in central New York. I go home. Uh, a buddy of mine gives me a ride home. I get out and I head for the front door. Usually I went in the back door. I went to the front door. I started to open the door. And as I did, my dad's standing right in front of me in the door. And he, my dad's about five, nine, you know, he's not a big man, never played football. Uh, he was a soccer player and a basketball player, baseball player. I opened the door and my dad's looking at me and he goes, you know, he said, if that's as hard as you're going to play, you ought to think about doing something else with your time and just kind of turned around and walked away. Didn't say wow. anything. Wow. Wow. But, yeah. That hit home. That, that resonated with me for everything I've ever done all my life. And what my message has always been to my players, my family, my kids. Hey, I don't care what you do. I'm going to support you, whatever you do, but whatever you do, be the best you can possibly be. You know, and don't that- waste my time, don't waste your time. And remember, uh, Tom was up in that area with Bayheim, and in the early 60s at Syracuse, a lot of good players, you know, uh, a lot of good basketball hey, players. You had Ernie Davis. You had a lot of big running backs. Uh, Floyd Little. I mean, you had a lot of good players in that area, not, not part Zonka. of New York at that. Zonka. That's right. Yeah, Zonka. You play with Zonka. Wow. Floyd was, Floyd was a year ahead, okay? Floyd was one year ahead of us. And you remember, you know, Floyd and, and and Larry broke the Gator Bowl rushing record that still stands when we played Tennessee when I was a junior uh, in Jacksonville here. But oh, I didn't, re- I didn't realize had, that. We had, listen, in those days, Syracuse, Ben Schwartzwalder, we, we, were, we were known for physicality. We ran the ball. We played great defense. You remember we played the 5-3. We had the middle backer running through the line of scrimmage all the time and, and creating havoc. But we were a physical team 
that re- they recruited very well. We had a lot and a lot of talented football players. But when you come, when it comes to, you know, who was in the backfield, when I was a kid, I'm watching Jim Brown, you know, the Ben Schwartzwalder show on every Thursday night. When I'm real young, it's Jim Brown, 57, you know, at that time. And then it's Ernie Davis, okay, when they win the national championship in 1959, okay, followed by Floyd. So Jim Brown recruited Ernie. Ernie recruited Floyd, okay. And Zonka, they brought Larry in. They thought he was probably going to be a defensive end or a defensive tackle or maybe a linebacker. And they looked at him at those positions at first. In my opinion – and I was a wingback, so I'm down and I'm blocking people in front of this guy. When people hit him and he's out in the open field, they're doing him a favor. He was so low to the ground, you were kind of standing him up, and he continued to gain another five because of that. And I think probably the greatest – and don't forget, Jim Nance was there when we were freshmen. Yeah, Nance was a big fullback for the Patriots, excellent player. Jim Nance was – Jim Nance and Floyd, you know, when we were freshmen, and then after that it was – Larry and Floyd, you know. And people don't realize how good Zonka was in those Dolphin teams in the early oh, 70s. He was – he killed you know Minnesota in the Shula Super Bowl. Did? Go ahead. Coach Shula me. put him on the outside. Coach Shula let him run the ball wide. Nobody thought he could do that. He was tackle to tackle at Syracuse. Big, you know, bruising, bruising fullback. He could run wide. He could catch – he could do it all. He's the greatest fullback in the history of the game. He was Mr. Versatility as a fullback. And so tough. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and do Tom's book. We continue. Nice to have with us the great Tom Coughlin. What a story he just gave you there for a few minutes on wife and father and everything else. And we'll do the Giants. Stick with us here on Mad Dog Unleashed. Returning, great to have you with us. Tom Coughlin, of course, Grand Central Publishing, December 6th, a giant win inside that giant, the first Super Bowl team that beat New England. Tom, I had a lot to do here, but we have to first start with uh, your changes in style, you know, the Players' Council and all the things that you did prior to that year to get people on the same page. You know, you were tough, a little Lombardi-ish. I loved it. The old school guy loved it. The new player maybe shaft at it a little bit. And you made the necessary changes to get everybody, all right, you want to do it this way? We'll do it this way. You got a little complaint? Come to me. We'll change it. Your team. And we'll see if we can make this work. It seemed to have its, I don't know when you implemented it. Maybe that summer. Maybe the previous before you won it. Tell me about that first. I think that's important. Go ahead. It's important. What's important is to remember the 06 season because we, we had a lot of injuries. We went eight and eight, got beaten in the playoffs, and then it started. It was, you know, fire Coughlin, get rid of Coughlin. And the media was was very much involved in this, as you know. And so the, the it was total negativity, total anti-Coughlin. As a matter of fact, many times it got a little personal. I went home one night late in the season, and my uh, two kids that live in Jersey – Kate and Tim were both waiting for me with Judy. And I went in and sat down and they said, Dad, do you know what they're saying about you? And I never did. You know, I never paid attention. I wasn't one of those. I told Pat Hanlon, you tell me what I need to know, Pat. And that's the way we operate. But, uh, and Pat's the one that set up the deal where you remember this, Chris, we we went one-on-one. In other words, we invited all the print media and anybody that covered the the Giants in, in a full capacity like that invited him in and sat up. We sat down across from each other. We took the gloves off, okay? It was a chance for me to express myself in terms of what I didn't like about you, and you tell never, me what you don't like about me. 
Right. So what what came out of that, Chris, was uh, I'm a blue collar guy. There's no question about it. And I became aware of the fact that the people that I was working with, they were blue collar people, too. Well, I can I can I can adjust to that. I I can I can be a little more respectful. I can I I don't have to be I can smile. I can share some information. They're not going to hurt me. I'm not going to tell you anything that I, I don't want you to know. But I can I can be a little more accessible. And so I made the commitment to do that. Now, with the players, my whole thing with the players was communication. I always thought, wow, I know exactly what I said, but it doesn't seem to resonate with, with these guys. I, I don't hear that being said in the hallways and what have you. So the, the leadership council was in an attempt to be a better communicator. I had people from each position in the leadership council. I had a lot of guys. I had probably 15 guys. And I had Strahan was in there, you know, so Eli was in there, Snee, you know, I had uh, Antonio Pierce. I had guys from every position, um, Corey Webster, all, all the guys that were going to be significant in, in the in the meeting rooms, Shockey, Plaxico, they were all in there. And what it was was I would communicate to them, and I would, and, and I discovered that I could eliminate a lot of the undertone by simply opening up a meeting with this group, talking about things. You know, a couple of examples would be like I told, I would tell this group in advance what I was going to do on Thanksgiving and then on Christmas, so that they would go to their players, their position groups, and I and I said, you know, when we do this, I don't want to hear any of that underlying stuff. You know, the business, business, what's Coughlin going to do? How, when are we going to be off? When, what, you know, how, how much time I, I, but I eliminated that because these guys would go a week, two weeks ahead of time and let the, let's let the rest of the players know exactly how we were going to do things. So the communication thing was there. And I'll never forget talking about, for example, curfew when we got ready to go to the Super Bowl. And I said to the guys at the, at the meeting, I said, all right, fellas, let's talk about, curfew when we go to Arizona for the Super Bowl. And they started looking around at each other. And I remember Antonio Pierce said, what do you got in mind, coach? And I, I was pretty good about it. You know, I think Monday night I said it was maybe 1230 or one o'clock. Next night it would be 1230. Next night it would be 12 and stuff like that. And they kind of looked at each other and said, that sounds great. That's great. That's great. Well, you know the story of the hotel we were in was about 14 miles. Oh, uh, long way. Long yeah, way. Was out the was out in the desert, you know. So the guys went out maybe the first night. After that, they stayed they stayed in a <laughs> it was a, it was a beautiful resort and it had different, you know, it had different restaurants and stuff like that. So when their parents came in, they could but it was it worked out great, you know. It worked out great for us. But those things were and and the and the one thing that that stuck struck me and I'll and I'll never forget this. It's almost like you were what you just said about my dad. Charles Way was player development, okay? And Charles came to me and he said, Coach, let them see you like you are with your grandkids. And I said, okay. Because, you know, practice would be over. My If my grandkids came, you know, Chris and Kate had had boys, and they were right in town. And Tim, Tim had boys too. So they would come after the, after practice. And I'd get on my hands and knees and, you know, tackle, and we'd throw the ball a little bit, and the players would go by, and they're kind of busting my chops. That was a terrible throw, Coach. You know, that was bad. you're in bad position. You're not in the right position. You should be. So, anyway, they would see that. And and then it came to where, you know, I, I always cared about my players, but I maybe I didn't show it. 
So I now became a little bit more expressive. I, I, I let you. them I let them see that I did care about that. Well, that, just 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 for the record, you uh, you came on with Mike and I those first couple of years. Uh, on Mondays, and you hated yeah. the fact that, you know, me, I, I'm a pain in the ass, and I'd ask you the tough, or Mike, we'd ask you some tough yeah. questions. So you wanted to move it to a different day, and we didn't want that. You wanted to do it Thursday and get away from Monday. So we no longer did that. So that's the one thing. But the other thing is, I'll take credit for that. Me and Mike, were, we loved you. We wanted you. We didn't want, we were not part. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if Hamley Hanlon told you. But, you know, you were on the Giants and WFAN, and we did. We knew you were a good coach. And I said, you can't, the confidence knows exactly, don't fire him. Just for the record, I want to make sure you knew that, that Mike and I were always on your side. After that one season, then, as you right. said, a lot of people wanted you out of there. All right, um, let's do, uh, let, let's do the two big events of the year, and then we'll take a little break and then go through the playoffs. The first one is the Washington game 0-2, the goal line stand at the end. And the second one is when Eli got booed out of the building against the Vikings with the five interceptions. So you take them both. That's the beginning of the year and near yeah. the end where you had to get the team going here for the postseason. That's regular season-wise on this great giant year. Go ahead. Tell us through the remember, two. Remember this, Chris, okay? So at the, in the offseason between six and seven, I hire Steve Spagnola. And Andy was great about it. Andy let him come. You know, Steve was a linebacker coach with the Eagles. Worked uh, for the great Jim Johnson, you know, the defensive coordinator that right. was so so influential in the way that Andy played. Well, anyway, so I hired Steve. Okay, and Steve's Steve's a great coach, great guy. I mean, he is a force multiplier if there ever was one. The most positive guy in the world, even under the most difficult circumstances. So I hire Steve. So we promptly in the op- the first two games of the year we give up eighty points. My new defensive coordinator, we give up 80 points, okay? So now it's all out there for sure. Fire Coughlin, this is it. And, you know, we I mean, I knew going to Washington, you know, there, it wouldn't, wouldn't be pretty if we didn't do something in Washington. So we go to Washington. We're down at halftime. We come back. We take the lead. It's third and 13 from our minus 21. We got our backs on the goal line. They hit a ball down to the one-yard line. There's 105 to play. They got all kinds of time. Well, they had in their plan, and this is Joe Gibbs, a, you know, great, great, great football coach, Hall of Famer. They clocked the first play. Now it's second down. Second down is play action pass. Okay. Third down. They come out over the ball. The clock's running. They don't have any timeouts now. They run to the left. They don't huddle. Kavika Mitchell makes the first tackle. Same play. Same direction to their left, our right. Aaron Ross makes the second tackle. We win the game. Okay. Well, now we go bonkers in the locker room. You know, we go on to win. We win six straight. At the end of the first half of the season, we're six and two now. So we're playing pretty good football. Things are falling in line. We're doing pretty well. Then we start the second half. Now, this is a team we win. We do win 10 games, but we should have won 12 games. Okay. We lost. We were four and four in the second half of the season. We lost the bad game you're talking about to Minnesota, where I think Eli threw four interceptions. Then we come back and get beat by Washington at home with a backup quarterback. Now, at that point in time, Chris, all we needed is one win. We're in the playoffs. We don't get it at Washington. Now, the players sit in the meeting room Monday morning, and they think they're going to get their butts ripped, okay? 
I walk in and I look at them and I said, gentlemen, we have two games to go. We play Buffalo in Buffalo and we play the New England Patriots at home. I suggest we go to walk, go to Buffalo and win because if we don't win there, we've got to beat the, the undefeated New England Patriots to get in the playoffs. I walk out of the room and they're like, who's this guy? You know, who is this guy that just came in and didn't make us look backwards, but rather we're looking forward. So we go to Buffalo, we win, and remember the 88-yard run, Bradshaw makes the Oh, the rain, run. you know, bad weather, crazy weather, sure. The worst weather I've ever seen. I mean, it was every form now. It was rain, it was sleet, it was hail, it was snow. It was 40-mile-an-hour winds. Nobody scored into the wind, nobody. Everybody went. We were down 14 nothing in that one. We came back and won. You know, Bradshaw has the 88-yard run to seal it. Remember, you know, yep. That's it. We're in the playoffs now. Okay, so you know – the next, the next question coming from the media afterwards is, are you going to rush your players? And that one, I never I never liked that question. I never did, okay? So I go home and I'm thinking. I sit in my office thinking, you know what? We are the New York Giants. We are the flagship team of the National Football League. We are the red, white, and blue. I'm a historian. I do not want history to reflect back upon a New York Giant team that did not play their best against a team that was going for an undefeated season. So I walk in the next day and I tell tell our team exactly what I'm telling you, and we're going to play our starters. We're going to play to win. And the guys all bought into that right away. Boom, we're, we're into it. So in comes on a Saturday night game. You remember that? I sure in do. New England. Here comes New England. 15-0 football team. The greatest offensive machine in the history of the National Football League at the time, averaging 36, 38 points a game. Defense, which is ranked in many categories, fourth in the NFL. Lots of great players on that team. Offense, defense, Moss. Brady threw 50 touchdown passes that year, 23 of them to Moss. How about that for a stat? Yeah, unbelievable. So a great team, okay, a great team. They beat us 38-35. In the fourth quarter, we're a, we're ahead in the fourth quarter. Brady to Moss, they beat yeah, us with dom, the bomb. Big bomb down the right sideline. I remember it's with the bomb. Boom, yeah. they beat us. Okay, but we're walking off the field, and we know we can play with them. That's a big thing. Next morning, I go in. The red lights on on my phone. You remember this story too? It's John Men. Tom John Men. I want you to know I'm pretty emotional. I want you to know that's the greatest thing that's happened to the National Football League in the last 10 years. How about that? And I want and I hope those people in the league office understand that. But John went on to say, you know, our game is not a game of we play to win. You know, we play to win. We don't we don't rest players. We don't I'm just so emotional right now. I played that for my players on Monday too. Oh, you they, did. They wow. loved it. Oh yeah. Well, and that was, and that, was an, that was an important game, Tom, because it got Manning some confidence. I oh. thought that was always because he was, you know, he didn't do much in Buffalo, the weather. He had the bad game late in the year against Minnesota. You lost. I understand that. But I think looking back on it, we all thought in New York at the time, this is, of course, that great giant team, that Manning needed to feel good about himself. And he played great in that game, which I think was an important momentum for him in the postseason. Do I have that read properly? You got it. Because he he always rose up in those big games. 
and played well. When you had to have Elon, he was there. And that game was another one of those where he's he's playing against the greatest of all time. And he'll be the first one to 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 tell you that, you know. But uh but the way he played gave all of us great confidence. Now, the the Super Bowl would be played much different. All right, Tom, uh, you get through the regular season. Madden makes the great call, but you play great against the Patriots. You play the first game in Tampa, and then you go to Dallas, you go to Green Bay, and then we all know about the champion, uh, the Super Bowl against New England. But you played a conservative game against Tampa, but the matchup was good, and you won. And then you developed some, con- I, you know, you got to get that first game out of the way on the road, but momentum can build. And a lot of teams since and before have made these great stretches on the road. You know, the Raiders did it in 80 when they won the Super Bowl. Green Bay did it with Rodgers after you did it when they won it. But you, not many teams had won all those games on the road prior to your run. You got to get the first one out of the way first. Let's discuss that. Go ahead. But you got to remember too, Chris, we were the road warriors. We won 11 games on the road that year. 11 yes. games on the road. We knew how to play on the road. and we, But that, that was a sign of the way this team could come together. The great thing that I, and, and I say this every time, and I don't, I'm not trying to be offensive, but if you remember the game, the Super Bowl was Fox's game, okay? Right. It was Troy and it was Joe Buck, okay? Right. Yep. But, but the expert panel that does the Sunday show never picked us to win one game. Not, not one person picked us to win one game. So nobody picked us to win in Tampa. We go to Tampa. We had two yards in the first quarter. We, we had little or no offense in the first quarter. As you said, we go on and we win the game. We played that one in 82-degree temperature. Remember that. All right, the next game we go to, we go to Dallas. We had Dallas beat us twice during the regular season. Okay. Nobody picks us. That's the famous game that Jerry put the two tickets on all the benches, all the all the stools in the in the Dallas locker room. Because if they win, the NFC championship game is in Dallas. They had the best okay? record. Right. They put right. it all on the stools. You know, we go in there right before the half. You remember this. 46 seconds left. We're deep on our own territory. He hits boss up the sideline. We score to tie the score at 10-10, different game in the second half. We were we went on to exert ourselves. Game ended with McCorders with the interception in the end zone, but and they were down there. But that was that was the way we we fashioned that win. And it was a great win. Now we go to Green Bay. It's minus 24. It's minus 24 degrees. I go out pregame, no earmuffs, no gloves. I'm out there five seconds thinking, how the hell am I going to get back inside? It's freezing out here. Our guys come out in shirt sleeves, you know, and you know how that goes. Eli and Plaxico played catch for four quarters as if it was 75 degrees. 11 catches for Plaxico. Eli, a big, big ball game. It goes overtime, as you know. Now, in the game, during the game, I slide up next to – Lawrence Tynes, and I say, Lawrence, can you kick a 46-yard field goal? And he turns around and walks away from me. So in the fourth quarter, we miss a legitimate field goal that wins it, okay? We get there again, and we have a bad snap. We have a bad snap, and he can't handle it. He just kicks it, and it goes off to the side. It goes overtime. Corey Webster had great hands. He makes the pick in the first drive. You know, Green Bay had the ball, fired through, boom. 
Corey Webster picks it off. We don't gain anything. Now it's fourth down. I just stand there. I'm watching Lawrence Tynes. He throws his cape off, runs on the field. I see that. I figure he believes he can win. Field goal. I yell field goal. From the headsets, the coaches are telling, Coach, you can't be careful. They're going to have the ball almost at midfield now. If we miss the field goal, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Lawrence Tynes kicks it. It could have been 55 yards. It was so true. Okay, and we win. And now, everybody, the realization, I can still, still see Antonio Pierce's eyes on the sideline. The realization, we're headed for the Super Bowl. We're going Super Bowl. And, of course, we can't wait to get inside and get some chicken broth. But two things. But two things. First off, uh, Plaxico broke Ray Berry's record, if I'm not mistaken, for championship. He had, he had 11. I think Berry had 10. Let me catch it. Yep. So I think he broke that record. And second thing, we all were worried about your health. <laughs> because you were you were frostbite, and you, again you you were red as a I don't know if how I was at that game minus two degrees uh, at kickoff, but you were frostbite, and that was a, and everybody was worried. Poor Tom, you know he's not thirty, and he looks like he's a frozen Eskimo. Were you aware of all the shots that we had in New York of how cold you looked at the end of that game? Let me hear. Yeah, and I was telling I I told Strahan the other day about. You know, I said, I, I really wasn't cold in the second half. He said, of course you were. You were frozen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, you, you did a – you had a lot of momentum, Tom. You know, the Green Bay, the Dallas win, you know. I mean, I know Romo said he had a bad thumb and he had a big drop at the end of the game. That receiver had a, had a big drop on a, on a big play. But you had momentum. You know, you yeah, played we well to get into the playoffs. You played great against New England. You know, you beat Tampa, sluggish game, but you beat Tampa. You beat Dallas in Dallas. That's a hell of a win against the thing. I think they were 14-2. and two. That's yeah, a hell of a win. Uh, and then you go to Green Bay with Favre, and they were, a heavy, they were a touchdown favorite, and it was freezing weather. And, you know, you wondered if the Giants, you know, had it in them. But you had a lot of juice. You had a lot of momentum. You felt like it, karma was on the Giants' side. That's how a fan thinks. That's how you think about it afterwards. Does a coach going into that Green Bay game, do you think along those lines? Or you say, okay, it's a one-game thing. Nobody cares about the Dallas game. Nobody cares about the Tampa game. Did you feel magic in the air going into the Lambeau Field on that Sunday afternoon? Well, we felt good about ourselves because we had done really uh, an incredible win in Dallas to come through there after losing twice to them. And we, we knew we were playing well. Okay, but it's a whole different ball game when the wind chill is minus twenty-four. You know, you you got to get out there and figure out whether you can stand up. Or, you know, how are you going to play? And we played well. Remember the first play of the game was Brandon Jacobs. Jacobs in the contact was unbelievable, and you could hear it. You know, boom, boom. It was one of those, and it was like, ooh, here we go. You know, so that that was in the air for that game. But yeah, we we were building up, building up, build, building up. We still believed in ourselves. Nobody gave us a chance to win any of these games and we found a way to win. And it was, it's a great feeling, you know, because we're practicing well, the players are listening well, the players are all on the same page. That's a wonderful feeling. You know, that old John Wooden about, you know, everybody wants to get to the top of the mountain, but all the fun and all the enjoyment and all, all that you learn, all the virtue is in getting there. Well, that's true. That's the way it was. Would you have lost a team in week three if you didn't hold with that goal line stand against Washington? I don't think we would have lost the team, but we would have got gotten a lot of a lot of we've been attacked tremendously, no doubt. And you, know, and you would be zero and three. Just the math of being zero and three making the playoffs is hard to do. Correct. Very hard. Very hard. Um, the fact that you played so well against New England, 
and everybody felt so good about it that even though if there's ever I know you lost Sean O'Hara in the game, but if there is ever we lost Kavika Mitchell too in the in the in the Tampa game, we lost no, excuse me, against against the Patriots, the 38-35 regular season game. We lost Mitchell and we lost uh, O'Hara for the Tampa game. And Gray Rugemer went in and played center for us. That's right. Gray played well. Yeah, he played, he played well. well. But if there's ever a loss that can prepare a team for the postseason against – I mean, that, that's a perfect situation. I mean, you got Manning going, all right? You, 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 everybody felt so good about the Giants. You put the Patriots right to the very end to go 16-0. You know Belichick well. You're on the same staff, so you had that. If there's ever a loss – that you can deal with going into a postseason setting, it was that for the Giants, correct, Tommy? No doubt about that. However, however, the formula for beating the Patriots, we didn't do much about that in that game. You know, the idea, you got to knock Tom Brady down. You can't leave him on his spot. You can't you can't let him sit back there and do his thing because he's going to beat you if that happens. Well, that was evolving, okay? And what evolved, of course, was the, the great uh, pass rush uh, team that we would put on the field on third down. All right, we're going to come back and do the Super Bowl with Tom and let him go. Uh, Grand Central Publishing, a giant win. The inside look of that great giant team there that uh, beat the Patriots and stopped their unbelievable year uh, trying to catch Miami. Tom will continue with us right after this. Don't go away. Returning, great to have you with us. Tom Coughlin, of course. Grand Central Publishing, December 6th, a giant win. Inside that giant, the first Super Bowl team that beat New England. Tom, do I make a big deal about when he got off the plane? The black, did, did, did you know that was coming? Did we make a, everybody thought they were going to a funeral. They didn't know which one. How about coming off the plane with that confidence there in Arizona? How about that for a sec? Go ahead. Well, that was, that was the players. That was the players. That was Antonio Pierce, to be honest with you. That was him. And I, you know, I had come to really trust my team. And they had trusted me. And so I didn't make a big deal about it as long as it went no further. Okay. So they agreed. And after we got off the plane and they made a big deal about the funeral, we're going to a funeral, the Patriots funeral. That ended that. And it was not discussed again by the players after that point. But it, it, <laughs> if, it, it wouldn't have been the way that I would have got off the plane. Let's put it that way. And the great quote that you had all week, why not us, which I loved. Tell us about yeah. that. Go ahead. Well, that's the idea. We're, we're here, and we came to win, and we've been playing very, very well. We've had an excellent, excellent week of practice. The second week just as well. Our players are well-rested. They're well into it. If you remember, Chris, in those days now, there was a team that worked in the morning and a team that worked in the afternoon. And if you worked – in the morning, you did the media afterwards. If you did, if you worked in the afternoon, you did the media before. So we were the team, you know, the Patriots were the home team, blah, 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 all that. But we were the team that had the afternoon. You know, our players rested a little bit more. They had a nice breakfast in the morning. Then we went over, we had the Cardinal facility. Okay. That's where we worked. We had their weight room. We had their practice fields. It was, it was beautiful. It was great. And, so I thought we had the best circumstance there. We were put out in the middle of the desert, and I thought that, okay, well, that's, that's, that's what they want, you know, in the NFL. They got the Patriots downtown where they're, where they're right there for everyone to, 
talk to and so on and so forth. We're out here. And that's just another, you know, okay, we'll put that on the list too. But yeah, we were, we were, we felt good about who we were, where we were. Uh, we, we had great, great respect for who we were playing for all the reasons that I've mentioned. But we also were thinking more about our team and we liked where we were. I, w- I had great peace after that week of pre- preparation. The only problem we had was we had Plexico with the, you know, for, for the whole season, had the, the ligament, ankle ligament problem. We couldn't even practice half the time. And then we get the little bit of knee injury. The knee injury was more than a little after he slips in the shower. And now we got a problem with that, whether or not he didn't practice at all. Is he ever, is he going to play? I also think that you playing the Patriots so late in the year and playing well, they got a little stale. I think the pressure got to them. They did not play that great against the Chargers in the AFC Championship game, the game before you played the first game of that championship Sunday. Uh, I think the fact that you played them so late in the year took the aura away. You know, wow, these are the big, bad Patriots and Brady and Belichick and everything else. The fact that you almost beat them, I think I look back at this now, and I didn't think at the time, but I do think the fact that you played them in Week 17 and played them so tough took away the, you know, the, the, the intimidation aspect that the Patriots had with a lot of teams. I think that was a big help as far as that Super Bowl was concerned, Tom. How about that for a second? Let me hear. There was none of that. There was no we, – we were, we, were, we were looking forward to playing them. Our guys wanted to play them, and we thought we could play well. Now, you, you could ask the question, did you, did you think you were going to win? I wanted to play as well as we could possibly play, and if we did, we had a chance to win. Yeah, if you put yourself in the right position, and you mentioned the, a defensive line, they won the game. Uh, Brady was running around for his life the whole day. They didn't score that many points. What, they scored 17 points in the game? Uh, 14. For seven, it was 17-14, right? Uh, they only had the two touchdowns. I know Pierce always used to tell us that the defense was annoyed because they left the field uh, you know, trailing in that one sequence, but still they at the end. But the fact that you held him the two touchdowns and the defensive line killed the Patriot offensive line. I always respected Brady because he took a beating that day yes, and still came did. up and he played really, I thought he played really well, but you hit it a few minutes ago, Tom, the defensive lines performance in my eyes won the game. How about that well, for a sec? Well, the two lines, the two lines played very, very well. And you have to, you have to, but we had five sacks at Tom Brady. We hit him 16 or 18 times and knocked him down. Okay. We knocked him down in that last series with 35 seconds to go to show his toughness. He's a tough guy now. He got himself, he got he got hit really, really hard right at the, even at the end of the game. And he kept right on going. And he fired those two rockets down the field. But Almost we were completed. Were Almost were completed those passes, especially the one. One of them. One of them was almost to the fingertips. Close. Yep. But I yep. think you got to remember one one particular series. They had the ball just past midfield in our territory. But we held them to what was supposed to be, in most situations, a punting situation. Now, we knew what Belichick, you know, he had showed this before, and we had practiced this. But in the game situation, it's much more difficult. So they left the offense on the field. Then the punt team goes running on the field. It's a fourth and four kind of thing. All right, we substitute. We get caught with we, – we had what was called defensive stays. We had limited substitution, but we did have. Our middle linebacker has to count 12. 
he counts 11 or 12, whatever it is. He counted 12. He's got to run off the field. He gets within a yard of the sideline. They snap the ball. They got us with 12 men on the field. You remember this? Yep. They move forward. That gives them a first down. Now, the red line on my face is going up because we, we had worked on it. We had talked You're about it. You prepared for it, and you stay still. Of course, the, yeah. of course the rules changed. As soon as, as soon as you know somebody sees how ridiculous that is, the rules have changed, obviously. But in that situation, they, they weren't changed. So my red, the red line on my face, I'm looking for an official to chew on. And Strahan slides up next to me, and he's looking at the field like this, and he goes, Coach, we've been in a lot tougher situations than this. I look at him. He's right. We have been. Our whole career, our whole years, difficult situations. This is a defensive player telling me that. Our defense goes back on the field. Strahan, they got the ball at 44-yard line. They're moving in, okay? We hold them. Third down, Strahan gets the big sack. They don't punt. They're going to go for it on fourth down. We get the great rush. That's an O.C. Tuck thing. They're on him. They're on him. He fires one out of the back of the end zone. We held in that situation. That Mm. was huge. Wow. I had to go back and look at that. I don't remember that as clearly as I should. Excellent job there. We take first down, and they didn't capitalize on it. What were you doing? What were you thinking with Eli scrambling around? And then the play to Tyree. You know, there's two facets to the play. The one is that the official did not, Johnny Greer. No, it wasn't Johnny Greer. I forget who it was. Mike Carey. That's it, Mike Carey. Uh, You know, didn't call him down because he had to move away from the defensive lineman who grabbed his jersey. And then he plants his feet and throws it in the middle of the air. And, of course, we know about the great catch that Tyree makes. That's a two-facet play. That's the sort of magic sometimes that has to happen for a team like the Giants, a little under, you know, not as good as New England, man for man maybe. That's the sort of thing that has to happen. Tell me what you were doing there with that scenario, watching Eli make that play to Tyree. Go ahead. It's third and five, and I'm 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 almost across from where Eli is. And the ball is snapped at penetration right away. Now there's three guys around him. They're all grabbing him. They don't, nobody's got a real good piece, but he's so I I'm looking right at Mike Carey thinking, Mike, do not blow this dead. Don't do it, you know. And somehow Eli wiggles out, you know, he drops back to the right and wiggles out, and then sets his feet and launches it. And I I, I, have, I have been upset all my whole life, the last 15 years, when somebody wants to tell me that's lucky. That was not a lucky play. If you look at, first of all, he throws the ball down the middle of the field, and I'm the, oh, no, if he overthrows it, it's an interception. It always is. Didn't happen. David Tyree comes back to the ball, scramble drill. He's, he's running a post. He turns and comes back to the, toward the quarterback like you're supposed to. He gathers. He's got Rodney Harrison. One of the great safeties in the game, a man, what, 20 pounds heavier than David Tyree and a couple inches taller. Up goes David Tyree. He's got the ball with two hands right here. Harrison rips one of his arms away, but he has the wherewithal to pin the ball to his his helmet. And as he's going down, Rodney goes down across the back of his legs. Now, if you and I are playing in the backyard – and somebody goes across your legs, you're letting the ball go. The ball's out. You know, I mean, protect your legs. Uh-uh. David Tyree has got the ball completely. The ball never touches the ground. They're still swiping at the ball after the, even after the play's been blown dead. Yes, they he's are. Got, he's got the football. Okay. So, I mean, and when you stop and think about it, you think about 
whether it's 42 or 46, Eli makes a great play at the time we have to have one in the game. You know, this is a magical play. The one at 46 where Mario Man- Manningham, Manningham catches the ball in front of the in front of Bel- right in front of Bill Belichick. You know, that's an amazing play. But both of those plays end up with us being in position to score. And I know that, uh, you know, the Bill and Bill documentary, Parcells indicated that the Giants got a little lucky on that play. Yeah, I, didn't uh, like that I didn't like the comment. <laughs> I've heard it. I love you, Tommy. I knew I had to say it because I know that comment you did. That that was not the right thing to say because the Giants outplayed the Patriots and deserved to win the game. And Bill did say that to Belichick. Um, Was it extra sweeter beating a team that was unbeaten in the game? I didn't think about that part. I thought about this is the best that the NFL has to offer, and we've won this game, okay? And that's all I thought about, you know. And I think one thing, Chris, that has to be said, and I want I want to make sure everybody out there knows it, okay? Before the game is over, and he was criticized for it, okay, we hadn't even knelt, we, you know, we knelt down at the end, okay? They had, they took their shots, and, you know, Moss, Brady, Brady to Moss, that kind of thing. Bill Belichick came over to me, and he's standing about five yards off our sideline, and I go out, and we hug, and he says some of the most gracious Nicest things under the circumstances. That Does anybody he really? Could. Wow. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And, and he turned, you and Belichick, you and Belichick coached against, coached with each other. Absolutely. And, you know, he gets, you know, sometimes Belichick, he's got a much better relationship. We, you know, loves Andy Reid. We've seen him there with coaches. And for and he's an ex-Giant, you know, so he, he loves the Giants. So he shared to me what he said before the no, game was over. I'm not going to do that, but I'm just going to tell you. He was as gracious as you could possibly be. Wow. And, and, the game, and he got criticized. I didn't realize that, Tommy. He got criticized that because the game wasn't officially over yet? I didn't realize that. He got criticized because he then went back across the field and went to the locker room. Wow. I, didn't, I don't remember that. All right. What did you tell your team after the game in the locker room? That was a joyous <laughs> locker room. What did you tell your team? You can't get to your team. <laughs> you can't. You're, you're paraded around. I'm telling you. The greatest thing about that post game was, you know, the ceremony and when I got a chance to see Judy and and then my two my two grandkids are in the end zone making uh, what do they call them snow angels in the yes in the yes. end that's amazing but you are on everybody thinks you're doing media probably probably fifteen in a row one here one there one you never get to your locker room when I did get there the the best part about it was. Here's Peyton draped around, <clears throat> excuse me, draped around Eli, you know, brother to brother. And you can imagine what they're talking about, you know. Well, how about that? History has been made. This is baby brother now. Baby, baby brother. brother. And, and Peyton, He's and the Peyton, MVP. He's and the Peyton MVP. had one one. And I don't think Peyton had one one yet. No, no, I don't think Peyton had one one yet. Did he beat the Bears? Maybe no, he beat the no. Bears. Oh, he had no, one one yet. Later. Yeah, uh, later. He hadn't won one yet, which is another uh, scenario. You know, you're going to the – I don't know when, but you are going to the Hall of Fame. Have you thought about that? Two championships and you beat Belichick twice. And you also uh, beat build up the pay- – and, and underrated, you got the Jacksonville Jaguars. You started their franchise with those great runs. You're on well, the that, way to the Hall – you're going to go to the Hall of Fame. You're going to go eventually. Let me hear your thoughts on that. Go ahead. Well, I, I don't I, – I don't – I don't think about that, Chris. I, I was 
I was out in Canton this year from from my friend Dick Vermeil and Tony Baselli, the first guy I ever took in the draft. Both Hall of Famers, you know. I shared in that. It's a great, great, just the the most elite of groups that are in the Hall of Fame. I love John Madden's quote about when the lights are out, they talk to each other. I love that one because you can visualize it. You know, you can have fun with it. Uh, but I don't, I don't think every day about that. I, I, I and you mentioned something that, that I, I take great pride in. Try, try it sometime. Being the head coach and in charge of personnel because I hired everybody that touched football for the Jacksonville Jaguars when we first started the franchise. And in the first five years, we're in the AFC championship game twice, twice and get beat once by Parcells when he was in New England, the yeah, second, time by, second Tennessee. time by Tennessee. Yeah. And Jack twice. Fisher twice. And it yeah, was, you, you know, it was, but, but nevertheless, the whole experience of that is, is, is just an incredible experience because you remember in 96 when we got in our first playoff was our second year. Do you remember the play against Atlanta at home? I sure do. Late in the week, the, I forget what it was. What was the play? I do. You did win the game. What was the play? Remember, I remember it. Remember Morton Anderson slipping oh, on a gimme? Oh, that, on a field goal. That's right. Goal. Yeah, he missed it. And you he won a game. Like, yeah, was, was it like 10-7 or something? It was a yeah, low it was scoring. A, it was a close game, but he yeah. slipped. And now we're 8-8 eight and eight and we're going to go to the playoffs. And you, and, beat Buffalo, and you beat Buffalo, and you beat Buffalo, and you beat and you beat Denver. Yeah, who were thirteen and three with Shanahan? Yes, one hundred percent. They would have won three in a row. Yeah, they would have won. All right, Christmas is coming. You're going to be okay getting through it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to be with family, and we'll do the best we can. But uh, it's not going to be easy. You know, it's 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 going to be. Even though she was here and couldn't couldn't do much to make people understand that she got it, she did get it, and I knew it. And the kids would all be around, and you know, you'd be all kinds of chaos. She always loved that, and uh, and and you know, we're gonna like at Thanksgiving, we put a big picture, a big picture of her up in a chair, and and so that everybody knew that that she was a part of our dinner that that day. And we'll do the same thing for Christmas. You did a superb job, Tom. I was a tremendous. You gave me a good hour. I, I can't. I can't thank you enough. That is a wonderful hour. You went through the season and your life here. You know how much I appreciate it. Good to see you. Stay healthy. Thank you, Chris. And great to have you on. Thank you. Appreciate it very Thank much. Thank you for your help with the great the J Fund over the years. Thank you for that. Want more, Chris Russo? Listen to Mad Dog Unleashed weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Mad Dog's Daily Bite is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.